Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome back to Game Store Profits. This is the show where two geeks talk about God. My name's Luke Navarro. And my name is Mike Perna. How are you doing today, Mike? How goes the uh, the wedding planning? It goes well. Lots of things are getting checked off the list. We are at 36 days to wedding day. Counting down. And, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty ridiculous. Just all the stuff that needs to happen and all the things that are going down. And and uh, I can say this, even though uh, my fiancé doesn't know about it, her her uh, bridal shower is tomorrow morning. Ooh. It's fun. Apparently, I will be escorting her to the festivities and then leaving because that's way too much estrogen for me. Yeah, I don't think you want to do that. I really don't, my friend. Um, you know, I've heard I've heard of some grooms I, going yeah. to a bridal shower, no, and the, the, I don't. Uh, I've heard of the the joint shower, the uh, the wedding shower. Yeah, I don't get it. I just let's go play laser tag. You know what I mean? Oh, pretty much, pretty much. I have a funny feeling that my uh, my bachelor party will involve a couple of my guys because. Uh, most of my guys are traveling from out of town, so it's only going to be the guys that are close. So I can imagine it's going to be us, probably a couple beers, just hanging out somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and I'm okay. With, I don't. I don't. Even I'm very know. okay with that. I don't even know. Do you guys have? Uh, what was it? I think. Oh my goodness! I I honestly can't even remember. Was it? It was a uh, Sega City. I think is what it was called at the time. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I want to know, it, and I want to go there. Uh, it was just basically a giant arcade. Uh, that was, but I the deal with this arcade was there were very few arcade console stand up games. Almost all of them were the like you know crazy, over the top Vegas style like you ride in them. Kind oh of man, games. Uh, and so that that's what I did for my bachelor party, you know. Got, I have to, got I, down and dirty with some uh, motorcycle racing and uh, some mech warrioring. And, that, uh, that, kind that of thing. was the thing right there. I, I was just about to say, the only one of those I ever really got into was they had one for mech warrior, and oh, that made me happy. Yeah, I want a mech. I really Apparent, do. Apparently they're coming out with a mech warrior MMO. I, this is what I hear. Um, it is one of those things that... Uh, is so wonderful, I cannot believe it until it happens, because I will be hurt too badly. <laughs> That's how it'll be. And and any, and I really want to see how it plays out. Because, I mean, man, you know how much I love the Battletech world. I do. And just, you know what, I actually want this one to be a little bit EVE Online-ish. I want, I want there to be land. I want there to be places that you can conquer. I want you to be able to have one mech, and you can get hired out. And you can go, and you can join, and you can fight, and that's what I want. Like full on, I want an eSport out of Mech Warrior. That's what I want. You, you want to create a mercenary guild? I do. I absolutely do. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's how we played the game back in the day. Uh, you know, we uh, didn't. We didn't. We didn't play individual matches. That's not how we rolled. You know, everything was persistent. Uh, in fact, even one summer, we, we literally, like, uh, commandeered one of my friend's garages, and we just set up this massive board over the entirety of the bottom of his garage, and it was just persistent throughout the entire summer. And, you know, I love that stuff. I, I love that world. So, yeah, put me in a giant robot, and, uh, I'm a happy man. So... <laughs> It really is the simple things. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the giant robots. 
the simple thing. That's all, that's all I ask. I just, I just want a giant robot, and I want to drive around with it. So, how are you feeling? Are you, are you getting to that kind of amped up point yet, or is it still far enough off that it's, it's just a thing on your to do list? You know, it's yes and no. I mean, I don't want to say that it's not like on my mind and I'm not excited about it because I am, but it's kind. I've kind of like fallen into the. I'm very excited for it to happen, but I'm just so aware of it happening hmm. that it's it's just a constant thing. Like it's not like I'm getting super jazzed about it because I'm just kind of at the man. It's coming, and I'm really excited about it. Like like that. I, I don't know how to e- exactly convey this feeling, but it's that that idea that you know it's here. It's it's almost already here. Like Susan's already in the apartment. Like like. Contracts have already been signed for different people who are going to be there. Uh, my friends have already made plans to, you know, rent hotel rooms and be here. Like, everything's happening. So, now it just has to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's that, it's that sort of just anxious, sort of weighty <laughs> kind of, like, there's nothing to be done. Eventually, I'm going to have to stand up there and say I do. Right. Uh, and you know that that's uh yeah it'll be over soon. Like like I'm really I'm really looking forward to it. At the same time, I'm like, man, I just wish it were here. Like I wish we could just be done with this by now. Yeah, it gets exponentially worse. <laughs> it really does. Uh, you know, I I uh, I remember the you know walking on the beach the night before my wedding. Uh, actually, with Kevin uh, Kevin McGill, the co-host of uh guys can read and you know just kind of walking along not nervous not at all not like oh my gosh did i make the right decision or or anything like that just let's get this thing done uh, it's be tomorrow and uh get married because waiting sucks right and I definitely... that, that's pretty much what i what it comes down to yeah waiting sucks we may have found the name of the episode here uh waiting sucks i love it so, other than waiting on a wedding, what you been up to? Uh, I have been up to a little bit of everything. Apparently, I'm infecting people with gaming left, right, and sideways. Um, as it as it stands, I was just Better talking. Than the flu. We, very true. Uh, we had a, kind of an event. It, it's a semi regular event that now that the our uh, our church's young adult ministry has kind of put together. It's really just a worship night for a bunch of people to get together and pray and sing and, and, you know, just talk to God and to hang out with each other. And, uh, I was doing that. And, uh, the guy who's in charge of our young adult ministry, his son is in my youth group. And so he was there and I was talking to him. And, uh, he's also one of the guys that I infected with once upon a time. And so we started talking about the fact that there's a once upon a time, third edition coming out and everything like that. And he was planning on buying it. And, uh, all of a sudden I started talking to him about Victoriana. And as I'm, I'm as I'm describing Victoriana, he just he just stops and flabbergasted and just looks at me. and goes, "That sounds awesome." <laughs> so yeah, I have I have more than enough uh, opportunity to play these games now. I just need to find the time. But uh, well, time time is always. Uh, a problem. Time is time is a crunch, man. I haven't even gotten to see Blue Light Jazz yet. You know, and I know that for you, this is a a significant thing. You've been talking about this for for months now. I don't know. Have we mentioned it on the show? 
I, I think I might have mentioned it kind of, sort of. I know I've mentioned Donald Miller before, because he is my man crush. All right, so I, I, so tell people, what, what is, who is Donald Miller? What is Blue Light Jazz? What was Blue Light Jazz? And what is Blue Light Jazz now? Uh, Donald Miller is an ama- he's a, a speaker and an author, and um, he, it's kind of hard to place him. He's definitely a, a Christian speaker and author, and, uh, but at the same point, he... He's not really your average theologian. He's not your normal kind of guy that you would think of uh, when you think about writers and speakers and whatever. Uh, Blue Like Jazz was his, his first big book, and it was, it was basically a series of essays about his life and his coming to terms with faith and, and really figuring out who God is, who he is, and kind of how he fits into the whole idea of what God is doing. and. Uh, it there're just it's a whole lot of amazing little scenes and stories from his life especially when uh he as a not an older gentleman but you know older than your average college student decided that he was going to go back to school and uh he's hanging out with all these college students and the big kind of famous story that ha- that uh is in blue like jazz is when at the college that he went to uh it was known for just being absolutely just Every kind of horrible college stereotype, every kind of uh, drug toga, toga, toga. Imagine those guys exponentially greater on an exponentially larger scale. All right. Uh, Because apparently there's this giant festival that this school has, and it's so just. Bacchanalian. Ooh, I like that word a lot better. The word that was more, you know, that not everybody has to like look run to their dictionaries for. I like uh, sending people the dictionaries. I really, <laughs> really do. It, I mean, it it's downright debased. Like, I don't use that word lightly. Like, that's a terrible word, and it, it, people throw it around just for anybody who doesn't look, you know, super Christiany. But no, this is from from the way he describes it. I've never been, so I'm going on his description. Like, it's so bad that the cops don't even bother to stop it. Like, the cops look at this and go, "We, there's nothing we can do. So in the middle of this, they set up a confession booth. And so a couple of them dress up kind of like, like monks and, and man this confession booth. But instead of having other people confess their sins, they confess theirs to the, the people who come to see them confess about the fact that they've done a a poor job of representing Christ on the campus, how the church has done a bad job of kind of keeping with what Christ has taught. They apologize for things like the crusades and things like that. And, and these, this act of apology, this act of being real with people and saying, we've screwed up and we're sorry for it leads to a lot of, of questions and a lot of long conversations with people about what God is all about. And that's just one story and one little bit of uh, what Blue Light Jazz is about. Donald Miller, um, the whole idea of it is is that it's it's thoughts about Christian spirituality from a non-religious perspective. And I I fell in love with this book. Um, as as you can probably tell by listening to this podcast, I don't really fit in your standard minister pants. Like that's not how I roll. But at the same point, I I love God, and all I want to do is serve Him. Hmm. 
And so for, for me to, to read Blue Like Jazz was like reading my own story. Like the things that he said were things that I had said, and it was just so comforting to know that somebody else out there was thinking the way I did. And uh, I've, I've read a bunch of his books since then. I've read uh, Searching for God Knows What. I've read, and my, I think my favorite one has to be A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Yeah, this is a, uh, this is a popular one. Uh, a Million Miles in a Thousand Years, oddly enough, is writing about the process of making this movie happen. Um, but it, it, rather than just being one giant written commercial for this movie, uh, basically Donald Miller, when he, when they were, t- when the guys who made this movie approached him to, to do the whole thing, he said, sure. And they started talking about what the story was going to be like. Cause the, like I said, the book is a series of essays. It's not a narrative. And so they had to turn it into a story. And when, in the process of turning it into a story, they dis- you know, Donald Miller discovered that they weren't actually using his life. He's like, I never did that, and I never did that, and I never did that. And the guys making the movie had to look at him and say, well, Don, what you're saying is awesome, but what we have to tell you, your, your, your story's kind of boring. <laughs> like, no one would watch the movie of your life. And that kind of kind of got under his skin, and so he decided that uh, it was not, it wasn't good for him and it wasn't even good for his, his, uh, ministry for God that his story was so boring that, that God had more for his life than just to exist. And so he started looking at the entirety of his, his life, the goods, the bads, the challenges, the successes, the outright failures and thought of all of it as God telling the story of his life that God was the author of his story. And that if he wasn't happy with his story, well, he should go about trying to use some kind of inciting incident to change it. You know, there's all sorts of of literary terminology for how story functions. And uh, it's the idea that um, story is somebody who wants something and overcomes a difficulty to obtain that something. And, uh, so yeah, so that, that whole book is about telling a better story. And so when the guys came on to Kickstarter and said, Hey, we, uh, we want to make this movie, but we kind of ran out of money, but we think there are enough people out there that want to see this movie happen that we can make it happen. And so I, as well as 4,000 plus other people said, yeah, we think you should make this movie. We want to go see this movie. We want to see it made. And so, uh, yeah, so now now the, the movie exists. It's still definitely an indie flick. It's not at everybody's local theater. But it is out. Um, it is out, and I would highly encourage everybody to, uh, to go to the website, Blue Like Jazz the Movie, and you can find, if there is a theater playing by you, then I would highly recommend going to see it. I've I've seen the trailers and I've I've been because I'm a, a backer for the Kickstarter. I keep getting emails about with behind the scenes stuff and and other stuff and and it, it upsets me that I haven't gone to see it yet. Uh, mostly because of the aforementioned wedding planning. Hmm. Well, I think that's fair. <laughs> I think we can give you a pass because you're getting but, but married. I, w- I I will tell you that I'm I'm so I'm so dedicated to this movie and what it's what it's talking about and what it says. 
that even though I didn't get to see it, because opening weekend is such a pivotal thing, I went on Fandango and bought a $10 movie ticket to a movie I never saw. Because I, yeah, I I love what Donald Miller's doing. I love the way this movie looks, and I think it's awesome. And it for me, it's just it's not like any other. I mean, we a, a, a number of episodes back, we uh, talked about the whole idea of making Christian movies and Christian video games and how they tend to suck, right? Um, so I'm just glad that somebody's out there making something that's actual quality. That people who aren't Christian are saying, "Wow, this is still this is a really good movie." Uh, you know, like you have um, you have edited this story just a little bit. Well, of course I have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, folks, well let let's uh, let's make sure we've covered a couple of of, uh, of bases here. First off, let's talk about Kickstarter. Uh, I, I imagine that everybody who listens to the show knows what Kickstarter is, but just in case. Kickstarter runs on geek money. What are you talking about? It absolutely <laughs> does. Uh, Kickstarter is about making geek dreams come true. That right? That's what it's there Absol- for. Absolutely. I think that should be a tagline that Kickstarter should have on it. Right. Kickstarter is a website where you can go with a dream, explain that dream to people. They will give you small amounts of money, and if you get enough people to give you small amounts of money to meet whatever your goal is for what you will need to make your dream come true. Then the whole thing it kind of initiates and all the money goes through and you get to do your dream. Right? Sounds and, right. And uh, the sort of the, you know, the the common thread on these, because there's, I mean, a huge degree of topics, right? Art, music, movies, uh, games, food stuff, books, I, you name it. As long as it's a creative thing, I think that's the only limitation they put on it. It can't be. Uh, actually, I think they even have products now. It, but it has to be a creative thing. Um, but really, the thing that brings it all together is it's one person who has this dream or this small group of people who have a dream, and they want to see that dream come to be. And the internet rallies around them. Perfect strangers from around the world rally around them and say, you know what, I like your dream, and I want to do something to make that possible. And people did that with Blue Light Jazz. Oh, yeah. So here's the thing, Mike. There's a lot of money in the church. Yes, there is. Christian publishing is the number two publishing category behind romance. But then you also have Christian romance. <laughs> well, that too. Why was there not enough money for this movie? Why did we have? Did they have to go out to the world and say, hey, help us make our dream come true? Well, I think I think a lot of the reason for that with this particular movie is because much like the book, it's not like your average Christian work. Whether we want to, to acknowledge it or not, I think a lot of people have an expectation when you when you come into it knowing this is a Christian endeavor. There are certain expectations that people are going to have of it. And uh if it's a work of fiction and it's Christian, they're going to expect the happy ending where everyone loves God and everything is wonderful and, you know, you know, all all people who love God, you know, sing and dance a happy song at the end of it. Um if it's not, if it's a uh I I don't want to say non-fiction, but if there's any kind of element to it that 
doesn't reek of the gospel, shall I say. That you don't hear the clear message of of you know Christ's death and resurrection and and you're a vile sinner that needs a savior and here's here's your savior, please, you know, all you need to do is put your faith in him. If you don't have that moment, if you don't have that, you know, shove Christ down your throat moment, people think that, that you've somehow failed. You've somehow ruined an opportunity to tell people about God. And Blue Light Jazz is much more about the process. It's much more about uh, working with people and walking with them as they're experiencing God and trying to figure out what that looks like. And so it's a, lo- it's a lot harder. You know, I think, it, I think if these guys walked into a church and said, we're going to make a movie and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are going to come to know Jesus because of this movie. And here's why. And, you know, there's so many movies out there that are, are like this. I think we, you know, even as I'm talking, I'm sure titles are coming to, to people's minds. Like um, what we were just talking about before we started the podcast, the Courageous movie. Um, that got made. And uh, there was another one, uh, End of the Spear, which was another fairly big big budget uh, Christian movie. Uh, I think it's a lot easier for you to, to, to put out that, that clear message as opposed to, hey, we're going to show you the story about Don and about him being really confused about God and, and really trying to figure out what it means to follow God. And things are going to get weird and, and he's going to try and find community and he's going to try and find his place in the world and all that. It, it doesn't ring with that. I can put my hands on it. This is my God in a box kind of thing. It's not a parable. It's not by any means. Uh, and again, man, you're being nice. You're being gracious. I'm, I'm really trying. I'm really trying to because, be nice. Because I, here is the fact of the matter. And, and I want everybody to understand I didn't like Blue Light Jazz. I read the book. It did nothing for me. I didn't think it was a bad book. I just didn't dig on it. It's not for everybody. Uh, Here's the thing, is that this book does not tow the party line. And there are a great many people out there who are attacking it as if it is antichrist. As if it is against God. There are churches who are downright picketing this movie and telling people that Donald Miller is leading people away from God, how there's a scene in the movie where he says that, that God sucks and, and everything's awful and, and he's anti-Christian. And I'm like, so, yeah, I know, I clearly, wanna, clearly you're reading a different book than I did. I want to dig into this and I want to dig into it on two different levels. Okay. So first level I want to dig into it is I want to dig on, into it on the, uh, well, we can do it in either order you want, but uh, one of the levels is the, the personal level about how we as individuals respond to God. Um, because I, I think that for most of us, you'd never teach that the way to respond to God is the blue light jazz version. And yet for most of us, that's really how we do. That's how we do. <laughs> uh, so I definitely want to talk about that, but I also want to talk about the corporate aspect of this. Uh, you know, the church is forever found things that it disagrees with, called them heresy, and cast them out. And, Mike, you and I, 
we 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 did the church history classes we suffered through and uh we <laughs> I, we I actually made it I made a trip out to Europe to discover a lot of the sites where some of that that stuff happened and and we know that there is a role for that 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 line that says no this is wrong and this is right right and it's, it's, so it's not a simple question it's not just a simple question of your teaching doesn't fit our particular church's doctrinal statement exactly, so we hate you. It's, it, it's not that simple. And yet, at the same time, we definitely have this power struggle thing happening where, man, the church seems, especially when you compare it to something like Kickstarter, man, the church seems like we're more into hate and we're more into stopping things and squashing dreams than we are into making dreams come true. Well, I I'm gonna I'm gonna throw that one back to you, Luke. But the thing that that keeps coming up to mind, and I, I want to kind of set it up and throw it back at you, um, the idea of it's easier to tear stuff down than to build it up. It's easier to look at somebody else, call it wrong, and say you can't do that, than to come up with something that will encourage the next generation. So. How do you think that the, you know, uh, we'll make this a two-parter. Right. Um, how do you think the, the church can fix that? And like that, that idea of, uh, you know, I'm talking big C church, not little C church. Right. How do you think the, the, the church as a whole can look at something like that and, and fix it and kind of setting up with that and also tr to try and understand that? How did we get here? How did we get to the point that um, we just want to just destroy anything that doesn't look like us? Because I remember, you know, not only did, it, did I study church history, I studied regular history. And there was this time frame called the Renaissance when the church was the one that backed artists and musicians and inventors and said, we want the best stuff for the glory of God. Bring it to us. Yeah. And it seems like it seems like now we're just scared to death of that. Well, I you know, we talked last week about this question of where does truth come from? Mhm. Mm and during the Renaissance, there was a, there was an idea that truth, that beauty, that goodness uh came from all kinds of sources, and they were rediscovering those sources. And they were excited and somehow, you know, in their mind, an artist creating a very explicit, very detailed nude was not uh, lurid. It was not uh, pornographic. It was discovery. And now, yeah, you know, could you imagine? Could you imagine? Anybody claiming to be a Christian, say, photographer, and doing a nude photo shoot? I can one-up you. Okay. When, when I was at DTS, I took several classes that were uh, the completely electives, and one of them was a Christian perspective on art. And one of the, the guests, he, I, I guess you could call him an adjunct, because he wasn't actually a professor, but he kind of was. Um was pursuing a doctorate in art at uh, the University of North Texas. 
And one of the major pieces that he worked on was a series of stories, or a series of of, uh, woodcuts depicting stories from the Bible. And in these stories, a lot of the ways he depicted characters that that had a certain innocence and rightness before God, he he made he did them naked because you know the whole idea of before sin you know man right. was naked and he wasn't ashamed and so the 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 characters that were the most focused on god the most upright before god he showed them as being upright before god by being naked hmm. and the response so, was so yes i so yes i can imagine well he 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 had a lot of he had a lot of critiques on both sides. He had a lot of critiques um so, from people in the church and from people outside of the church for doing it. Okay. Uh so we get to this idea of where does truth reside? And while I don't think any of this actually believe this, okay? Not nobody would say it, but we act as if Truth resides in the power of our doctrine. And any, um, I think that's, yeah, okay, and, keep going. <laughs> and anything that, that threatens the coherency of that doctrine threatens truth, big T. And so because of that, we, we find ourselves so very limited. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not a pastor anymore. I don't do that job. Uh, And I'll tell you why I don't do that job. It's not because I don't believe. It's not because I I disagree with the Bible. It's because I couldn't bear the pain of my people anymore. I cannot tell you how many times we had people come into the office, come talk to me, whose lives were devastated for reasons that when you get down to it, when you boil down to it, weren't about their sin. It was about their guilt. Right. And it was about their feeling like these other aspects of their life were wrong because they didn't match up perfectly with whatever the teaching was. Most of the time, not so much what the teaching they were experiencing today, but whatever it was, the teaching that they grew up with was. You know, the Renaissance and uh, other periods, we talked about the Victorian period last episode, were times when we said, you know what? We don't know what the answers are, so let's go find truth. And we opened up the doors and we went out and we tried to discover what was good. And that required experimentation. That required questions. That required mistakes, blue like jazz, and for what, and this thing that many Christians are doing right now, this exploration that many Christians are experiencing, especially Christians who've maybe estranged themselves from the church a little bit, is about that. It's about us saying, you know what, this set system of beliefs, this set system of doctrine isn't answering enough of our questions. And so we need to do some experimenting. We need to do some exploring. We need to do some soul searching. And that stuff sucks. It's hard. (laughs) And it's confusing. And it makes you feel like crap and like a sinner and like you're lost. And 
the reason why books like Blue Like Jazz, books like A New Kind of Christian, blew everybody's mind was because somebody had the guts to say, guess what? We're doing this too. We're looking well, around the, too. The, the common thread of all the people that they, they've interviewed about why Blue Like Jazz is so important to them, and you already heard me say it, it's the idea that, that for a long time, there are all sorts of Christians out there that says, I'm not doing it right, apparently. And there's this idea that, that um, our, our whole existence is just off. And then guys like Donald Miller come around, and, and he's not the only voice that does that. He's just the, the biggest one and the one that I can quote and people are going to know who he is. Um, they, they come around and say, you know what? There's there's a lot more to this than what people have been relegating themselves to. And we used to see that, and now we don't. And so let me open you up to the fact that this can be a valid part of your, your faith and and a valid part of your existence, and you don't have to feel guilty about it because this is how God can celebrate this. And the things that I've... I, I love... The reason I love getting into Kickstarter, because I have... I, I in in preparation of this, I kind of went through all the things in the past that I have uh, supported right. on Kickstarter. And every time I've supported something, it's partly been just geeking out. Like, uh, I told you that I supported Wasteland 2, which Wasteland is the father of post-apocalyptic video games. And the fact that, that they're going to take that great concept that made the 1988 video game so amazing and make a new game with new engines and new graphics that makes me tingle with ge- with geeky awesomeness but um a lot of a lot of other stuff that I do it's just I'm looking to help people bring awesome into the world that that's what I want to do I want to help 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 people bring awesome into existence you know Mike you asked me two part question yeah one is you know when did this happen but the second part of the question was why. And I'm going to tell you why. At least I think. It's because Christians are scared to death of awesome. <laughs> I'll buy that. I'll buy that. You know, we are afraid that awesome is wrong. We are afraid that these things that we think are really cool, are really exciting, are really uh, passionate, are really vibrant, are somehow sinful and you know i mean it sounds so cheesy when you talk about it but we are still kind of prudes and i don't just mean in a sexual way i mean in a and in everything way we defend the way we think so tightly so much uh we are afraid of anything that comes outside of the known system uh, uh, Mike, let me ask you something. This is going to sound like kind of a random, weird question. Love it. Are you a Psalms guy? Well, naturally. I'm a poet. There you go. I am not. <laughs> uh, I'm not a poet. I'm not a musician. And so the book of Psalms, for me, is kind of meh. Right. Uh, you know, sometimes I like kind of digging through the history of some of these Psalms, because some of the Psalms are set in time frames that are kind of reflected in the biblical story at other points in the Bible. I like digging through that because I'm kind of a nerd. 
But the whole artistry of the Psalms, I just don't get it. My brain doesn't work that way. Do you know what my Psalms is? You might think I'm going to say Proverbs. It's I'm not. My Psalms is Ecclesiastes. Mm. Because while you're a poet, I am a philosopher. And Ecclesiastes, what a great place to go. Ecclesiastes is the meditation for philosophers. And unfortunately, perhaps, but the church is run by philosophers. And as you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the lessons that you'll get in this book over and over again is Solomon telling the philosopher, hey, look, man, all this stuff you're talking about, it's cool and all. But it's not life. Right. Focus on life. And you know what he says to focus on? He says to focus on food, drink, work, and sex. That's what he says to focus on. Yep. You know, I call it bacon, whiskey, sweat, sex. (laughs) This is my life verse, right? Out out of context, that sounds awful. But in context, amen, brother. (laughs) uh, You know, that is what Solomon says to the philosopher. And that is what things like Blue Light Jazz, the Renaissance, the Victorian period say to the church. You know what? Don't worry about your philosophy. Go out there and live. Experience. Try things. You know, don't worry about being sinful because we, we can go outside of our safe, protected area and still control ourselves. And so, yeah, you know, and I think in terms of the, the other side of the question, that is the personal side. Uh, you know, for me, I mean, I can remember when it happened. For me, I was a Bible dude. Right? Bible only. Sola subscriptura. And my entire connection with God flowed through the Bible. And even as I say that, it sounds right, doesn't it? I, I don't think anyone's going to fault you for it. Right. And so I, I, I have this a picture, and I realize how completely inaccurate this is, but it's a picture, and I kind of a word picture, okay? Mm-hmm. God is up there, somewhere in the clouds. I am down here on the ground, and I have this beautiful, like, beam of light connectedness between the ground and God. And that is the scriptures. Right. So I have this like beam of light, this beautiful connectedness, and I've spent my entire life really looking at that line of connectedness between me and God. All sounds right, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I remember the day that I looked around and went, you know, outside of this beam, there's an awful lot of space between me and God. And I remember thinking, that stuff's wrong. That's the space where sin lives. God gave us revelation. And I remember feeling like I was stepping outside of that beam of light. And the farther I stepped outside of that beam of light, the wider the beam got. Until I realized, you know what, the whole thing is our connectedness to God. Right. And all of a sudden I felt like, wow, I am experiencing God in so many new places, in so many new ways. And, you know, that was 
super exciting and kind of freaky and wonderful. And I think that's what I think that's why you like Blue Light Jazz. And I think that's why we want to promote life, not knock it down like we're so good at doing in the church. Well, for me, you know, I like I like the whole beam of light thing. It's very, you know, you know, close encounters of the third kindy. <laughs> but um but um see the thing for me is is that the the word of god to me is the foundation upon which we build this existence i i cannot have gone to the schools i went to and not come out with an idea of, of the the primacy of scripture like it's it's there it's it's the thing it's what your faith is based on it's how you it's how you learn what it means to follow god but i think that where people kind of limit themselves to that that notion of I have to follow this and I have to do this and I have to do this. I have to not do that. I don't even think God uses that mentality when it comes to scripture. I believe that it's the foundation. I believe that you can't be a Christian and throw away the Bible. Because if you try to pull that off, something's going to go wrong. Big time. But at the same point, I think that is a foundation. That knowledge of who God is is the foundation that we build our existence on. And there are so many other pieces, like, it, you know, we talked about church history. We talk, we're, we're living in an age that has followed after a man who said that the, the idea of following scripture and scripture as truth is the foundation. Then you bring in the history and then you bring in the tradition. Then you bring in all this other stuff to help build up who you are. And I think so many times we want to just sit on the foundation. Whereas God's like, I want to build something amazing here. Right. I've given you the foundation. Now, what are you going to do with it? And I think so many times we're just, we're just sitting on the foundation saying, this is what God has for me. The foundation is solid. It is wonderful. And I will never say anything bad about it, but it is the foundation that we need to build something on. And for me, I think we lose so much about what it means to follow after God when we just sit on the foundation. Rather than doing something, rather than building something, rather than, than speaking something into existence that was not there to begin with, we're just happy sitting on concrete. Hmm. I mean, you know, there are no more cathedrals. No, and there's no plans to make any in the near future. You know, I uh, I was just, I'm reading a book right now called The Greater Journey. And uh, it's a, just a bit of history. And uh, it is about this wave of American elite, I guess you might call them, uh, scholars, businessmen, mostly scholars, artists, um, that kind of people, who uh, who in the early 1800s, 1830s, uh, right around the beginning of your Victorian time period, Mike, mm-hmm. uh, got on boats, traveled across the Atlantic, and went to Paris. And uh, apparently the way this works is you come to a port. Uh, of which is French and I cannot pronounce. 
<laughs> and then they would get into these incredible carriages, right? They're, they're these horse-drawn carriages that are almost like trains. It's like something you see at Hogwarts or something. Right. And they uh, they take a two-day journey, uh, and at the end of the first day, there is this village where uh, there is a cathedral. And it is the, it is the basic, it's the French equivalent to, say, uh, like Canterbury or um, Westminster Abbey, right? And so for several pages, you get this, the uh, journal descriptions of people seeing this cathedral for the first time. And this is 1830s America, right? So, I mean, we're still a pretty young country. And so you had these people, uh, most of whom were Protestant, uh, coming to this Catholic cathedral that is, uh, it's, it's like 300 feet taller than the biggest building in the United States, period, right? Uh, it is monumental. The people who are buried there ha- are people who have had a uh, role in history and church history for a thousand years. And they are just overawed by this building. I, like, I don't know if you've ever been to a cathedral. We don't I have, have. We don't have too many here. Uh, you said you went to Europe, so. Okay. I went, the, one of the, the most beautiful things I've ever seen is St. Vitus Cathedral in Prague. Yeah, yeah, for me, you know, I've seen Westminster Abbey, uh, St. Patrick's in uh, Dublin. Um, these are acts of beauty that are so far beyond anything we will ever do in any of our evangelical church. And I'm not asking for us to do that. Yeah, I mean... Nobody needs to build a building like that anymore. I mean, nobody could. It would be too expensive, even if we wanted to. Uh, you know, the, the Crystal Cathedral from the uh, My Neck of the Woods is uh, an example of that. Uh, since it got sold to the highest bidder yeah. recently. Yeah. Uh, the bankruptcy court sold it to the highest bidder. But there is something so majestic and so beautiful about these acts of creation. Uh and you know the funny thing about these cathedrals were? The people who designed them were artists. And they were, all of these cathedrals, we think of them now as like kind of staid and kind of like standard and all of that. And there was the standard and the, that there was the standard sort of cross shape and, and all of that. But the architecture and the art in these buildings, this was cutting edge designer stuff. It was artists making movies about our faith. You know, and because of that, we have this, these incredible moments, these incredible icons in history. And I'm afraid that we're not going to have those from our generation. I, you know, I, I go back and forth on that. I really do. Because there's part of me that, that looks around and I, I start seeing... You know, so many times that that anytime somebody wants to do something, there's the church saying this guy is terrible. Um, all you have, I mean, we're neck deep in Campaignville, and there's going to be this group of churches saying that Obama's the Antichrist, and this group of churches that says that that uh, Mitt Romney's the Antichrist. 
Um, basically, all we want to do is tear people down. Mm. But at the same point, I see a lot of great minds coming up with a lot of amazing things. And it always reminds me of this story. Now, I haven't verified this, but, you know, a very distinct prof at uh, Dallas Seminary, well, prof himself, Howard Hendricks, um, he he told a story in one of his books about about a little kid in a classroom. And the teacher told the class to draw a picture of a flower. And the kid drew the flower and he drew a face on it. And the teacher looked at him and said, no, 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 you don't understand. Flowers don't have faces. And he looked up at her and said, well, mine does. And that, you know, the sto- the story that has reached, you know, urban legend statistics is that that kid was Walt Disney. And the idea that um, a lot of great creative people have basically had their dreams crushed by somebody over them saying you shouldn't do that. Um, I saw a poster the other day that says, um, all children start out as artists. The difficulty is to stay one when you're an adult. And it, it has a lot to do with the attitude in which you come to things. Like, um, I, yeah, if, if my parents had not fostered in me the idea that I could make stories, the idea that I could create things, the idea that there are worlds beyond the reality of existence, that there is stuff to be played with outside of normal, that in fact normal is highly overrated. If they didn't tell me that stuff, I would probably be a much more boring individual than I am. And I probably would have a hard time buying into the whole God loves me thing. But they did tell me that. They they took me to Renaissance festivals when I was a kid. They they encouraged me, you know, they they played games with me that that you know, that forced me to be creative. To think outside of normal. And I think there's enough out there. There's enough hunger and thirst, especially in this generation that's coming up after us. There is so much out there that can do so many amazing things. And I think that if we, as the church with a big C, come up alongside them, and instead of saying, you can't do that because it doesn't look like we've always done things, and instead say, how can we do this for the glory of God? How can we take this bit of awesome and, and, and show people how amazing life is here? How amazing what God has done here? If we can do that, if we can start having kids draw pictures of flowers with faces, then I think we can literally change the world. I just think we need to make it so that they're free to do that. And God help any one of us who stands over them and says, Walt, you can't draw that. That doesn't exist. I know, I, I, I hope so. I maybe, I don't think I'm quite as hopeful as you are. But I hope so. I would love to see a day when the church said again, let's have a renaissance. Let's promote art. Let's promote beauty. Let's promote science. Let's promote life 
you know, you're doing it. Our friend Kevin is doing it, by the way, folks. Uh, right as we're recording this episode, I've seen a picture of Kevin's book in space. You know? Yeah. Yep. I'm just... Dude was a pastor. Decided he wanted to write fantasy books. And send them into space. If that's not a perfect example of what we're talking about, I don't know what is. Uh, Somebody who said, for the beauty of it, just for the thing of it, I want to do this. Well, I, I, I can... As soon as Kevin's like, I'm sending a book into space. I can already hear so many voices that that probably I don't know if they actually came up alongside him. I do, or and they did. So many, so many voices that says, "Why are you bothering to do this?" Especially after the first launch was unsuccessful. After the first launch, had the GPS system get lost, and somewhere out in the woods, there's a very expensive camera sitting with a copy of his book on a on a frame with a blown up balloon. And after that first launch failed, I could see the voices even get louder, saying, you shouldn't do this. It's a stupid thing. It doesn't really matter. How is this going to sell books? But Kevin, being the... We'll call him a fostering geek. He has geek tendencies. And in this moment, he completely embraced his geekitude. Because he just said, screw it, I want my book in space. My book is about space, and I have the ability to put it there, and I'm going to do it because it can be done. And I've seen a picture of the curvature of the Earth standing behind his book. Hmm. Because he could. You know, and I, I, I wish that there were, I wish the world could hear our voice. And it's out there, and if you want to hear it, you can. Go to GameStoreProfits.com and download. But I'll tell you what. Don't be the dude who tells him no. Don't don't be the guy, or the girl, or the church that tells him no. Be the guy who says, hey, I'll back your plan. I'll come alongside you. I, I, I will even put in my time, my energy, my money, my love. And help you make your dream come true. Well, Mike, we're coming up close to your big dream coming true. Couple yeah. more episodes uh, before we might actually end up having to take a little break. We'll see. But uh, we're, we're still trying to work. We're that working out. that out. I, but I'm, I'm not about. I'm not. The, I'm not about to let it go just because I'm not here. But I want this thing. To, I want this thing to be bigger than us. But we are. We are getting closer to your big day, man. I am excited for you. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's, I, yeah, I'm so looking forward to it. I'm, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time figuring out how to just embrace this idea of, of having creativity and having my existence impact everybody involved with this. I, I've had several conversations with Susan that all we want is that for people to see God in our relationship. Like so much of what we're doing is revolving around that. Hmm. And um yeah, I mean it's it's amazing to be something to be a part of something this beautiful. Hmm. 
and well, I, if that's not a if that if that isn't a image for life, I don't know what is. Uh, you know, the, it is amazing to be part of something this beautiful. We follow Christ. We are sons and daughters of God. It's mm-hmm. amazing to be part of something this beautiful. And uh, we just want to share that. So, Mike, I, I get it. We, we, you might not be doing a whole lot of sharing in the immediate future. But for <laughs> folks who want to follow you and find out a little bit more about you, uh, how can they go about doing that? Uh, the archive of some of my writing is always at tinkerstory.com. Um, perception Check, which is perception-check.com is the blog that's kind of an overflow of this. I recently just put up um, a uh, a new... Uh, well, the beginnings of... I drew the cards for a new blind draw storytelling story that I have yet to sit down to write. But that will be up shortly, probably by the time this podcast ac- actually airs. Um, I will also, by the time this actually airs, I will have up the character list for my Victoriana game. I know I promised that last time, but as is cited previously, I've been busy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, that'll be, that'll be coming up shortly and that's all going to be on perception check. Um, one thing that I want to stress, I know I kind of throw it in here at the tail end. Um, but I really think it's kind of important, especially, you know, just, just lately, uh, we've been, you know, we, we love doing this show and we're really excited about it. Um, at the same time, if it's just us, and this is something that we've said since the beginning, if it's just us, it's bound for failure. And so we want to hear from you guys. Um, if there's something you want us to talk about, if there's something you want us to to uh, to spend time on, if you want us to address a topic or a specific issue or anything like that, um, email us at gamestoreprofits at gmail.com. Um, I'm the guy who picks that up, and I would be happy to just have my inbox bombed with just constant emails about stuff that you guys want to hear us talk about. Um, because really we're here for you guys. Um, Luke and I can spend hours talking about stuff. I mean, we've done it in the past. We'll probably do it in the future, but, um, we come here and make this podcast happen for you guys because we know you're out there. We know you want to hear about geeky stuff. We know you want to hear about God. Um, but so we want this podcast to be about what you guys want to to hear. So again, gamestoreprofits at gmail.com. Luke, how about yourself? You can find me uh, on Twitter, at Luke Navarro, and uh, you can find out more about what I spend my days doing uh, on Twitter, at Fat of the Land, F-A-T-T-A-T-H-E-L-A-N-D. You'll find out more about this show by heading to GameStoreProfits.com, or even better, Facebook.com slash GameStoreProfits. Uh, as always, we are so thankful that you're here hanging out with us, thinking about geeky stuff, thinking about godly stuff, thinking about how amazing it is to be part of something this beautiful. So go out there and remember that God is the Game Master, and no matter how the dice fall, the game plays on.